Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Transgender Point of View is an Australian news and current affair panel talk show. Airing weekly and hosted by Joy 94.9. Transgender people come from every region around the world, racial and ethnic backgrounds and faith communities. Chances are that you've met a transgender person, even if you don't know it. But there are still many misconceptions about trans people. And as a transgender person, there are a lot of questions asked of us every day. What's this about using they as a pronoun? Isn't letting a trans person use my bathroom dangerous? Do I refer to you as he, she, it or they? So what's your real name? Are you a drag queen? What's the difference between sex and gender and why does it matter so much? Did you have the operation? What is stealth? How does someone know they are transgender? Really random questions. Are you sure you're not just super gay? You must be a transvestite. What bathroom do you use? Will I be able to have sex? What does cis mean? Welcome to Trans POV on Joy 94.9 with Anastasia, Rowan and Karen. Hey, how you doing? Hey. How are you guys? Lovely, thank you. What have oh, you guys been up to? Right. Oh, you can't Apart from scheming. I have the most boring life in the world. <laughs> no, honey. I, don't, I think, these are things. So I, as a, as a person with 65 pairs of shoes and 123 lipsticks, <laughs> anybody who owns like two pairs of shoes... Also two pairs is, of pants. Uh-huh, yeah. My mum had to is, yell at me this year because so I used intriguing. to buy one pair of pants a year and then i buy another pair every Christmas. And she thought that was uh, extreme because I have, like, one very small box worth of clothes. <laughs> Which is so neat when you move. Well, no, really, it's, it's not for any, like, specific political reason. It's because I refuse to spend money on it because I want to spend all my money literally buying books and I just can't, like, bring myself to buy anything. Yeah. But it's not a good habit. <laughs> I need to own more things. I can't go to weddings. I've been <laughs> down that path. I used to hoard books until I had to sell them. And also because I had moved throughout the years, I realised how <laughs> heavy books are. <laughs> so, yeah. I used to move with less and less stuff each time. And then I got married and now we have a house full of furniture. <laughs> things like that. I look forward to that day where I can sort of exercise <laughs> and work out like that. But uh, coming up in the show today, we have an interview with Dr. Kate Nambia, who is running an amazing program in the UK, in the National Health Service, uh, mm. sort of following on our discussion last week about our public service, sort of getting not a perfect system, but a system that is more ahead than ours. Mm. A little look into that. I also wanted to uh, call out, we had an amazing message from Jody in Maine, USA, who is a writer and poet, and she wanted to thank you guys in particular for the podcasts that she accesses every week. Yeah. So, hi Jody, if you're out there, I really enjoyed um, looking at your stuff. Yeah, I read it it's as well, you showed it to me today. It's, it's really, really beautiful. See, moments like those just really help keep you moving as well, you know? Yeah. It's just so warm and nice. 
So if anyone else wants to uh, give us an ego boost or if you have any suggestions for the show, uh, please message us on TransPOV on Joy 94.9 on Facebook or email us at transpov at joy.org.au. If you have any piece of poet that you would like us to speak on the air, you know, we can do that too. Yeah, thank you. Uh, also, this week for our artist highlight is an artist I've loved for a very long time. CJ Run uh, was born in Germany, but they're uh, from Afro-Caribbean family. But they grew up in the United Kingdom, and now they're based out of Chicago. They're a trans-masculine rapper, singer, and songwriter, and oh my god. Like, seriously, I, I love their music so much. Anyway, this is Spaghetti by CJ Run. Yeah. Joy 94.9. You are listening to Trans POV. That was Spaghetti by CJ Run, a really, really cool artist. Last week, we were talking to Lincoln about some of the failures of our Australian public health system. 
Uh, today we're talking to uh, Kate Nambia. Is that me pronouncing it correctly? I hope um, about being a doctor in the NHS in England, which is their national health service, and what they do in that country to help trans people, educate doctors about trans people, and essentially combat the sort of issues we were discussing last week with Lincoln. Uh, welcome, Kate. Are you on the line? Hi, yes, I'm here. Hi, uh, I'm Rowan, and you. I'm here with Anna. So, first off, you are both a doctor, and you have chosen to educate other doctors about trans issues. What made you, was there an event or maybe a series of events that sort of pushed you in like, oh, I need to take charge of this or I need to be the person to take this on? I guess so. There's, uh, it's, it has personal resonance with me as a trans woman myself. Um, I lived with having to negotiate um, healthcare through the NHS and facing some difficulties and facing uh, meeting healthcare professionals who who didn't really know very much about what it meant to be a trans person um, even if they had some knowledge about the the mechanisms of, of, of care actually understanding what it was like to be a person really didn't uh, didn't quite didn't quite resonate and so I kind of took it upon myself to um, well it's not just actually when I say that it's not just me there's lots of other people who are doing this as well but I did did um, want to make a difference in raising that awareness of um, uh, trans healthcare amongst amongst doctors in particular so what is the current system in place or the system you're trying to sort of like create at the moment there's no formal requirement for uh, trans healthcare to be part of um, medical education within within the UK, but myself and and, and many others have uh, started to uh, campaign and to uh, do research looking into how how this could be implemented within the uh, medical school curriculum. At the moment, the medical education is incredibly um, uh, packed. There's so much for uh, students to have to cover that when you when you talk to medical schools about uh, introducing yet another topic, it becomes uh, a bit of a sort of, oh my God, you know, how are we going to fit this into into the curriculum? But we're really understanding that, that neglecting um, an entire group of people isn't leading to good healthcare outcomes for, for, for them. We've seen that in study after study. So I think that it's, it's, it's vitally important and, and we're actually starting to see breakthroughs that... Um, we are getting, uh, you know, really good quality education put into uh, the medical school curriculum. But it isn't; it isn't; it is patchy. It's in places, um, and that only covers what's going on with medical students. We really need to try to do that for the the body of uh, healthcare professionals who are already out there and practicing today. And that's an even bigger challenge. So, hi, Kate. Is Anastasia here? I have looked at the um, NHS website in the transgender care segment and yes. you guys cover hair removal, genitalia re reconstruction, um, all of that. So I would like to know how huge and how big was the push of the transgender community and perhaps led by you to have those covered? 
Just to let you know, Kate, the uh, National yeah. Health Service in Australia does not actually cover any gender affirmation. Any of just nothing. Nothing. <laughs> there, there was nothing about it. So. I, I was really, oh, really? impressed. Okay. Yeah, I was really, really impressed. I don't even get money off my testosterone compared to like a cis man because mm. women don't need it. I have oh, air quotes. Okay. So I have to pay full price really? whilst I, they pay I, like 30. I, d I didn't realize that. I, I mean, it's the, uh, the, the majority of, of, of trans people within the UK access uh, NHS care um, at, at some point, whether it be uh, only for only for surgery or for the entire um, part of uh, healthcare, so actually having uh, uh, you know actually having um, really meaningful healthcare for um, for trans people in the UK is such a big priority. It's something that it's kind of talked about over and over again. It's one of the sort of big um, issues that is uh, pretty much always discussed. And I and I think that for for many of us we. we do feel that there's there's a lot yet to be done. Yes, you're 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 entirely right. The NHS does fund gender affirming care right right the way through, including you know from hormone treatment to uh, to some surgeries. Not not all surgeries um, it should be should be borne in mind, but but it does fund genital surgery for both trans feminine and trans masculine genital surgery. Uh, it does fund uh, chest surgery for trans men, but it won't fund anything else. It won't fund um, chest surgery or breast surgery for trans women um, and doesn't fund any uh, facial feminization surgery uh, at least for most of the at least for most of the UK it, it doesn't cover everything but it covers the majority of um, of the, the surgical side of things it covers all of the hormone treatment um, and there is some funding for uh, trans women to access um, laser hair removal but again that's not uh, not complete so I think as a as a sort of package of care, perhaps it, it is pretty good compared to many other parts of the world. Um, but in terms of the pressure on that resource, that's the difficult thing because there are vastly more uh, trans people within the UK who need that care and want access to that care than there is capacity to deliver it. Um, and so we're in, we're in a situation where we have this enormous waiting list for people who are waiting for their initial assessments and then to go on to therapy um, and then uh, eventually down the line if they want to, to to have surgery um, and that's that's really difficult knowing that there is a service out there potentially could help you but but not being able to to get to it just because uh, there isn't the capacity um, or there isn't enough funding really to be able to, to deliver it yeah definitely here we have problems with waiting lists for the you know few mm. services we do have they get bogged down and as I understand it mm. they're correct me if I'm wrong because I'm also an Irish citizen when I've been doing research and how to change all my passports and birth certificate over there, I have heard from a lot of like Irish trans people that they all have to, you know, cross the pond to get anything. So like the English system is yeah. weighed down by a lot of like other surrounding countries that have to sort of lean on it. I, um, I, don't, I actually don't, I, I mean, I think that, that that's certainly true. I don't know whether it weighs down the uh the, the the system though there are there are definitely people who come to to the uh to the uk who 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 move here um who are from other countries who who do use the system but it is not uh i wouldn't say that that's the main reason for it being oh no um, definitely not <laughs> wait, wait wait down I, I, I yeah i, I think i think we'll be really careful to to not point out it's one of those things that has been um 
raised um, we know we've got an election coming up really really soon and 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 one of the discussions that's been been had is about um, immigration and the the effect on the on, on the national health and, and and generally my belief is that uh, immigration has actually been beneficial for our, for our country in terms of our, our funding is the main people, problem people who work in it yeah, yeah. so uh, that's all i'd say that so kate um what would yeah. you like to see hospitals um have as their policies around education for existing members of staff because i think we can probably successfully campaign to change training mm. for trainee nurses and trainee doctors mm. but um i remember a story of um a colleague of yours who was an anesthetist i think and a scrub nurse mm. kept on misgendering them and that was someone who had a mm. huge amount of experience so yeah. what would you like to see um, hospitals do as far as policies for um, trans awareness? I think training for trans awareness needs to be part of the um, equalities and diversities um, uh, general training that, 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 that is put out to all, all members of staff. And it should be something which is... Um, it's difficult to say made part of mandatory training, but it, it should be something which is is valued and, and, and thought of as being important within um within the, the hospital systems and the, the healthcare trusts that we have um here here uh, in the UK. Um and I think it's really patchy. It depends on who you have um working within within those organizations as to whether that happens. Uh and the quality of that training if it does happen can be really variable as well. Um you know, for, for 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 me, I really believe that if you're going to do it well, it needs to be, uh, you know, it needs to be delivered at least in conjunction with, if not strictly by trans people, for for us as a, as a, as a community, so that people really do understand what it really means. Um, I think it becomes very dry if it's just done as a sort of, you know, one one of the sort of standard mandatory training e-learning packages, and people just kind of do it as a bit of a tick box exercise. I think it really has to be something which is um, made uh, meaningful by kind of proper human interaction um, and that obviously takes resources and takes time and takes money um, and so it doesn't always happen but that's that's really my wish I think it's something that really needs to well, You're listening to Trans Movie and Join 4.9 with Kate Nambia Thank you, Kate. And we really hope that Australia will keep on bar with international standards, you know, given how WHO scra- scrapped yeah. transgender as a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I think NHS actually removed that, like the, the psychiatric guidelines, yeah. you know, uh, from their website. So, so, yeah, congratulations, Kate. Thank you. Hey, you. Yeah, you in the cafe. Did you know that a big portion of people who listen to Joy listen to Joy at work, just like you? Right now, times are very tough financially, and without your support, Joy may not be around to help you through your workday. So tell your next-door neighbour, your friends, and even your dad to head over to joy.org.au and help us build Joy Nation by making a donation. Joy, your voice, your radio station. In continuing our discussion of sort of healthcare for trans people in Australia and and overseas, um, Queensland just opened their first LGBTI aged care residence called R-Care Parkwood. And, I mean, I just feel so removed from this issue, but at the same time I, like, understand it. But I'm, like, 21, so I don't really understand, like, what it means to be, you know, a person who is even a proper adult in the... 
queer community, let alone like... <laughs> yeah, and then with the right, you know, with how they keep increasing the age limit, like for, like the pension age, I feel like I will never retire, you know? Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I always thought it was never going to happen for me and now it's getting a lot closer. Um, I, I do worry. I've heard so many stories about people having to go back into the closet um, so that they can be... Um, so that they can fit in in the care home that they're in. And it's not just care homes, it's also care in your own home because you've got strangers coming in and you don't know what their views are going to be. And, and those, like, nurses that come to, like, your home, they can be on a rotation, new people every week. You know, you don't know who it's going to be and just put down your name as, like, oh, can you try and have this or try and have that? Like, it's just almost impossible and so you're just stuck in the situation you can't fix. Which yeah. is, to be fair, like, uh, true of most healthcare for trans people. You just don't know what's going to happen. Like, mm -hmm. our discussion last week with, like, emergency rooms is, like, very real. Yeah, turning off someone's meds, that's not good. Um, mm. Yeah, that was shocking, the story from Lincoln. I think, uh, as part of my job, I've also met quite a lot of insurance companies that offer these aged care services. And I have to say that the people that they employ, they don't pay that well. Mm. And there's not a lot of training given to them, especially the people that are doing um, the non-clinical um, services. So I, I can imagine that you pretty much get people that are not that well motivated and not that well engaged. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this is amazing. I, I was talking to Jimmy about it at the weekend. And we did wonder, like, is it financially viable to have an LGBTIQ plus care home now? And, and I'm really hoping that this one in Queensland is just the first. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, in Victoria, we have Dr. Catherine Barrett, who was on the show before, and she's doing amazing work with the, the, um, the aged care sector. And, you know, and the fact that she comes from the LGBTIQ community, it helps a lot. Yeah. yeah, I think it's not just we want services for us. We want to be involved in our own services. Yeah, and so for me, like see, you guys are too deep for these. Like for me, <laughs> my biggest concern when I get older is that I may get loopy and I may keep insisting on getting my hormones, the extra dosage of my hormones, because <laughs> I might have forgotten it. <laughs> then, which would in turn turn me into like a moody freak. <laughs> well, th they do say your inhibitions go. So y you could be, you know, chasing the young nurses around the care home. I could definitely imagine you doing that. <laughs> like, I haven't you had my hormones. I, I did give them to you this morning. No, <laughs> it happens before. Like it happened. To, I mean, it happened to um to some nurses I know that the 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 elderly they look after they just forgot that they they had been injected with something very potent, and they just kept blaming on the nurse of missing a dosage, and they complained and. Yeah. So it could happen to any of us. <laughs> I don't know. I think I was in the group of people. I didn't think I was going to be an adult. So being like post-adult is even wilder to me. It's hard. I can't conceive it. So you just kind of got to hope that you get there and that the services are there when you get there. And I think with my age group, we might get lucky. But it's not a guarantee, which is kind of hard yeah. <laughs> to think about. Well, which, me, you know, and again, you know, to ensure we have all these wonderful and excellent services speaking of visibility which we really need to raise in holland almia am i pronouncing yeah, it right almia holland i don't almia know holland? it's close to amsterdam yeah it's, it's close to where you take your, 
your weed um, <laughs> in Europe. Um, so they have a trans-flag road crossing, the first one in Europe, apparently. See, I have such conflicting idea, like feelings about something like this. Because mm-hmm. on one hand, it's like symbols. I know symbols are important. And I know like that form of visibility is important. I know we have the uh, rainbow crossings in like the north suburbs. And St Kilda now. And St Kilda. Kilda. Yeah. And I remember when I first saw that, I was like, wow, what? Because <laughs> I, I just don't spend any time in the north and I'm not. I'm usually in the middle of the city if I'm doing city things. But I'm also like, yeah, is there better ways to spend that money? I don't know. I don't know how much it costs to maintain that kind of thing. I mean, you know, if if we can't afford to have fireworks, like extravagant fireworks every year, perhaps it's just a small cost to raise of awareness, yeah. you know? It's it's not that bad versus the the rate of crime and suicide rate amongst trans-gender-diverse people, really. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it's just like every time I see something like that, I think maybe it's because I'm too utilitarian. Yep. Like, I, it's sort of my brain just goes... Mr. Two Pants. <laughs> yeah, two Mr. Pants. Only owns two pair of identical jeans. Um. <laughs> Which is good. Like, then you don't have to spend hours, like, planning your outfit for the like next day. I to make unnecessary decisions. Mm. <laughs> but, and, and one, one thing I'm actually concerned about is that then the extreme right-wing people can yeah. say, oh, they're, uh, like, shoving it down my throat. It's the backlash that worries yeah. me. Yeah, does yeah. it become a target for transphobic graffiti? And Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because, like, I, I know, at least where I live, during the um, marriage debate, we had uh, one shop that had that sort of, like, gay people welcome here, mm. which was the comic book store. <laughs> And I remember seeing that and it was so good and it was so nice, but they also got flack for it. And then even now, some of those it's okay to say no signs are so far up, so high on telephone poles that they're just still sitting there. But then, like, I always see the, like, oh, you know, when there's something being, like, very, like, openly and provocatively queer, Mm. then you just get the people that will come up and spray plain a slur over it. And it's like, well... It's almost worse then. It's worse because beforehand there was at least just neutral mm. and then it was good and then it was worse bad. And mm. I don't know. It's just hard to navigate. And it's funny how like they, they these people are deemed to be like adults and they, they settle things by via vandalism really, you know? And um, oh, yeah. it's going to cost a lot more to clean up the street than actually sit there face, face to face and talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. In other news, we also have, um, I guess, like a, a sort of hard thing. It, Pastor Paula Williams, she is um, an American minister. She came out as trans, but at the cost of her family and her job and her friends and her whole religion. And I just think, um, you know, obviously, like, it's an incredibly hard thing to do, but I, it also makes me sort of, I guess, bouncing off from that idea I, I uh, consider not just like religion and being trans, but also like the idea of. Um, wow, I've lost my thought completely. <laughs> so for me, one thing that I thought was really good with this was it. It was actually an interview that was on Facebook's chat show. So mm. Facebook have a TV channel now, and Jada Pinkett Smith, who is gorgeous, um, does the show, hosts the show, and they had a whole show. And I looked at the comments, and we all know Facebook and social media can be a source of trolling, and there were no negative comments. So it was, a, it was a topic a about a religious person who was trans and clearly 
either Facebook were really, really carefully moderating the comment section, which is quite likely. But I'd love to think that actually just everyone thought it was brilliant. Yeah, but um, I think more it's like coming out when we sort of talk about coming out as trans or as gay, I, I suppose. There's always like, I see a lot of, um, you know, every year there's coming out day and I see a lot of people being like, oh, you should, you know, coming out is a good thing. And it is, it is 100% a good thing, but it is also, the, it's again, it's like backlash. It's like, you can't just, you can't, we can't exist in our own sort of like voice. We always have to be reacted to, which is sort of just very difficult to deal with. I don't know. So what I'd like to follow up in with this story is like how, how she views religion after this, you know, like of, uh, particularly this journey because she has such a close relationship with God, you know, and somehow things were taken away from her. Well, not somehow, but, you know, due to lack of acceptance and so kind of via religion's hand. So uh, it, it would be great to, to, to see her, her perspective on, on things, especially religion. Yeah. yeah. Because there's very much a difference between, like, the structure and community surrounding religion and the actual spiritual aspect of that itself. And I think for a lot of queer people, those are incredibly distinct things that you deal with, positive or negative, in, in different ways. But they are very separate. And for non-queer people and non-trans people, it can be very, like, they don't have to consider the difference. Mm. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And here's a really amazing story coming out of the US. Mm-hmm. Danica Rowan becomes the first trans politician to win re-election in Virginia despite transphobic campaigns against her. So she's one of the many victories the Rainbow Wave gained within the past, within the most recent election in yeah, America. Was it a state election for senators? Like, I'm yeah, not so, what was it? so each state has two houses and yeah. the Democrats managed to take over. They already had the governorship, but they took over both of the houses oh, hell yeah. and Danica got re-elected. So she was the first trans politician to be elected to the Virginia state. Yeah. And uh, Virginia's in the south of the US, so it's one of those kind of conservative states. Yeah. And um, she was standing against a really lovely woman who was saying that she was going to, you know, a vote for her was a vote to bring a mother into the state government. And Danica pointed out that she too was a mother. And the next thing you know, the trolls online were arguing about whether or not a trans person could say that they were a mother or not. And um, there were a lot of really high-profile ad campaigns against Danica saying that she was only interested in passing laws that would progress her agenda, you know, the <laughs> trans agenda, we all know about that. And yeah. um, she hilariously turned around and said, no, she was campaigning for traffic. There's one road there that's always blocked. And she goes, well, trans people drive too. Mm. I think it's just a misunderstanding of like how we spend our time but especially in those political campaigns you know they're like flailing when they can't even they just ignore all policies i've never seen a trans person like really be grilled on their policies only really on their existence yeah we have another story that um has we've just had an update on the news earlier actually uh the trans canadian cyclist rachel mckinnon um she won the masters track world championship and got a uh, world record However, um, there's been a backlash, obviously, from the women's rights groups, um, from the TERFs, um, and 
the um, UCI, which is the cycling board, are now going to re-review their inclusion rules around trans women taking part in elite sport. So um, I think it's another topic that we could spend an awful lot of time on around the myths of an unfair advantage Mm -hmm. and the like. But um, it's definitely something that we'll keep an eye on. Mm. Yeah, we'll follow up on that next week and see what's happening. Mm. Uh, Also, what's on? So, a lot is going on next week. Visibility week is coming up. All the states in Australia are doing amazing things, which I am taking part of, really. So, first of all, with Out for Australia, which is a not-for-profit organisation, which I used to uh, volunteer for, they are having a panel of discussion how to be a good trans ally. On Tuesday, the 19th of November, so just one day before of the Transgender Day Remembrance, simply because they don't want to take the essence away from the remembrance. So that's amazing. It's going to be hosted um, at the Origin Energy Head Office in Melbourne. So that's on Exhibition Street? Yeah. And then um, you have Transgender Awareness Week breakfast in New South Wales on Thursday the 14th uh, from 7.15am to 9am at Clayton Utes and Inner City Legal. That's quite awesome, isn't it? Yep. It's and good. then another Melbourne one. Oh. So, so that's is it the beyond the binary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. MIT University, and uh, on the same day, the fourteenth of November. So, um, to, to from six p.m. to eight p.m. So it's a collaboration between minus eighteen and transgender Victoria uh, to pres- to present the beyond binary. And this was the one that Seb sent us when I asked him if there was anything he wanted to plug and he forgot. So uh, this is an event being run by Minus 18, which sounds really cool. Yeah. And then you have the vigil, the main, you know, the Transgender Day Remembrance itself, which is on Wednesday, the 20th of November from 6 to 9 p.m. um, at Fitzroy Town Hall. Yeah, I look forward to that. And I think we are going, well, Ron and I will be there. <coughs> and um, it's uh, hosted by, well, image is by Teddy Darling, which is a, a very um, artistic queer person. And Miri interviewed Teddy Darling on this spoken word yes, a few weeks ago. We did. And um, yeah, and oh, there's also like Alpha Australia. So yeah, it's in conjunction of Alpha Australia, White Gender, Gender Victoria, and Melbourne Spoken Word. Okay. Amazing, amazing. And then in Queensland, we have a Transgender Day of Remembrance Ceremony and bridge viewing. So they're going to be lighting a bridge up at the Wilson Outlet Reserve in Brisbane. And that's on Wednesday again at um, 7.45 to 8.30 in the evening. They are just trying to like outdo us and everything, hey, Queenslanders. Like, we light up the art centre, they have to light up their, fr- their bridge. Really. They can keep trying to outlight it until we get the Sydney Opera Bridge, you know, and the Opera House, you know. Mm. They can keep doing it until they light up the entirety <coughs> of every city in the country. I'm fine with that. That would be amazing, though. Yeah, that would be great. And next week, we also include a guest visit by, by Michelle Shepard to talk about her transgender diverse liaison work at Fit for Work, which, honestly, I've been under their service and it's amazing. It's really helpful. So, yeah. Can they give me a third pair of pants? 
you, they can. Uh, <laughs> if you are happy to try on like women's clothing, I mean. Oh, see, I got rid of all that. That's why I don't have enough clothes now. No, but they do have pants. They can actually. You and remember the topic we had on like women's belt and like men's belt, like the smallest size, like things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I made a joke about how Rowan's never, <laughs> never going to understand. Ex- never understand what it's like to try and be a woman trying to find men's clothes. Yeah. So. <laughs> A fit to for work, like, they have like the outfittings, which is awesome. Free clothing donate, donated by very generous people. So, yeah. Another call out if anyone has an event that they want us to mention on air, then uh, please get in touch with us either on the Joy Trans POV on 94.9 Facebook page or transpov at joy.org.au. And that's it for us. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.